0: What should we call the series, Dom? A little bit of this, a little
1: bit of that. Like this, that.
0: I f***ing love it, that's it. It's
2: uh, quite a journey, it's been... It's trickier than you thought, huh? It's much trickier. It started when we met in the pub, so so Dom and I went to the same university, but we didn't actually meet at university. Um, Dom was in halls with my brother, and uh, I don't want this idea of making a uh, like a, a survey platform where you simplified it all the way to this or that type of questions. And uh, I think you were looking for someone to help develop that app. And uh, on a night out, you met my brother and he said, oh, you need to speak to Max, you can do that. Um, and uh, so I remember that night really well. We, we bonded really strongly immediately off of the idea that surveys were f- boring. Um, and uh, we had a lot of fun with that. We like we so I remember the designs. You were you had so sort of like this or that images next to each other. Um, I then sort of suggested we try this Tinder type swiping environment. Um, you swipe left for this, swipe right for that. Um, but that set us off into this journey of I think eight over the next eighteen months or so. Then we built I think forty seven different apps. And now we're going
0: to speak with Jörg about why building tech takes time.
3: First of all, it depends on what kind of tech you want to build. If you want to like really build core technologies, then it takes a lot of time. And um, you you should like then have the people who can build it um, within your team. And any tech you want to build, even if it's like super easy to build, you always need processes, even if you're a very small group of people, you might not call them processes, um, where you together find out how can you describe what you want to build and then how can you easily learn how much time, resources, money it will take and then um, be as realistic and ambitious as possible in building, adapting and building also learning loops into the development and I think one of the other big challenges is that you should not start building tech with the intention of ever being done. I think it's an ongoing ongoing process that I think makes life a lot easier if you consider this this is ongoing this will we will never be done we will always change it and we always learn and and we need to get as fast as possible in understanding if we want to change something how much work does this create we learned a lot in the whole
2: process of, you know, cha- making all these different apps. We, we embedded GIFs, we uh, simplified it to, to this or that questions, obviously. Um, that we showed people the results of uh, what the public had to say after they shared their opinion. Uh, sort of re-pulling really into finding out what the world thinks beyond just what you think yourself. We made it really social media native, reactions, time friends. Um, but uh, we got into the accelerator program, we got into APX, that was really, really helpful and I think that was critical. I think that sort of helped us understand a lot about business. So uh, APX is one of Europe's leading uh, accelerator programs, or was at least that, and now they brand themselves as of the early stage VC. They helped identify that our USP was the gamification piece. So they we we compared our, our survey to other platforms and saw that we actually started going towards a 10x in uh, completion rates. Um, and that was really pivotal for us. So we realized that our route to market or growth was no longer going to be a social media platform, but rather to build an analytics tool to enable brands or marketing teams or, or any sort of personal industry people, uh, through social or through means outside of just panels, um, to get that done effectively and efficiently at scale. So, uh, that was brilliant. We, we then, uh, took that on board, spent uh, all of our time building an analytics platform, got some funding to help us do that. Um, and uh, then we learned this concept of product market fit, so it wasn't just the product that you had to build, you had to find a market that it suited well. So we, we, we thought we'd build product and it will be wonderful, um, and this was now like two two years ago or so, we we, we thought it would be dandy from there, but that's not the case mm, at all. Yeah. Um, we, we worked with business consultancies, we worked with marketing teams, we worked with brand teams, creative agencies, uh, strategic teams, literally anyone you can think in the market and, and getting these like you know contracts off the, the ground is hard enough but like trying to play around the entire market um to get a grasp of what works for who uh was really tough um and in that process trying to i guess we're trying to
0: become like the next gen version of a survey monkey uh type platform i spoke with more eno about how to build credibility awareness and your first sales
4: in my opinion again as uh, working with more than 100 startups and working with uh, different companies from Middlstrand to scale-ups to corporates. Uh, the most important thing for a startup in order to build credibility and awareness is actually to create value. And by creating value, we can do it in different ways. Uh, the first thing is to actually create some kind of like a visibility in the ecosystem or in the industry you're focusing in. For example, if you're solving a problem to the pharma industry, make sure to be in different events and make sure to participate in competition make sure to share your knowledge and uh, to write maybe blog posts or to do webinars. In my opinion, not to be too salesy, but actually to provide valuable knowledge.
2: Um, we had to really differentiate ourselves. So we're creating all these new technologies. We had a question type called tournament mode where you have a series of binary comparisons uh, rather than like a multiple choice option, which is really useful for like measuring the performance of say a brand. So if you were to ask a question, which brand do you think is the most blah blah, blah, between two options. At the end you can filter results by uh, those that prefer a brand over another, which is super interesting. Um, uh, and we, we built trackable links that allowed you to send out one survey across, let's say, 20 different channels. Then you could filter results by each channel, which was also super helpful. Um, and and it, it kind of had this like boom moment when we went into the influencer marketing space. Um, where all these sort of complementary tools that we built to finally Landed in the brand lift
0: solution. Maybe I should explain what brand brand lift is. Yeah, what, what is a brand lift? <laughs> guess, uh, it's something that we're very familiar with but to our viewers. Why don't you sum it up quickly? Yeah, so
2: this is our first like proper good use case uh, that made a lot of sense uh, a brand lift is um, effectively You're, you're looking to, to measure the impact of a marketing campaign. That's the goal and so the way in which a brand lift does it is it finds people that have been exposed to a campaign, it surveys them, asks them a couple of questions. It might be looking to measure uh, the, the lift in awareness or the lift in consideration of uh, purchasing or signing up to something, uh, interest in it, uh, actually intent to buy, uh, as well as sort of advocacy metrics, would they, do they prefer it over other brands, would they recommend it to friends and so forth. Um, you get these results, and then you would compare that to an unexposed audience, but you want to make them as similar as possible, so that the the only difference is exposure. Um, and I guess with our gamification, um, we were able to directly uh, retarget audience that have been exposed to content online, um, and because the gamification, we had the completion rates that made it financially feasible. Um, and so when we came into the brand lift solution, we could guarantee exposure rather than um all the other sort of mm. ways of trying to infer exposure by uh forcing uh exposure through creative content or by going to a panel and, and hoping that you add a screening question of do you follow this influence so that you would see something.
0: Yeah. Why is now the right time to this, that?
2: Well, there's a lot of growth in the influence marketing space and that's really been a nice sort of springboard for us in in our journey. So two things I'd say within the influence marketing space, or or three things even there there's I think we've kind of crossed this bridge, the legitimizing of the impact. I think we all know that now um, and sort of verifying exposure when it came to brand lift s- supported that movement. The next thing I guess is the growth of the amount of creators. So we have about 50 million influencers worldwide right now. And it's going to be 400 million by 2025. I see. Okay. Yeah. So there's going to be an eight X growth as expected nearly 10 X growth on the amount of creators. And if you think about what, what that means is it's going to become, more and more competitive, uh, brands gonna be more and more specific about what influencers have as an impact, and what what we're getting it through our brand lift solutions. We're getting an opportunity to survey their audience, right? And so that gives you and the influencers the ability to really learn about what their audiences are interested in, and. Uh, what, what what things mean to them and that helps you get more specific and granular when it comes to questions such as What makes this influencer special for this campaign so you can really t- tailor them to that And then just before I go into I guess why that's super important for us the, th- the third thing as to why now is the right time is we're realizing in this competitive fast-growing space scale is of uh, utmost importance and so going into next year we're We've already got a lovely partner, uh, Takumi, that's going to get full access to our tech. So for the last year we've been leveraging our tech to provide a full service. But we really believe that with uh, the right tools, our tech for instance, it automates a lot of the workflows for you when it comes to brand lift or analysis. As well as some education on how to do it, we can enable the entire industry to perform brand lift and sort of complex market research themselves. Uh, So kind of full turn there, we started off with trying to make surveying fun and now we're looking to make all of market
0: research fun. Obviously, being a startup, we can only afford one camera. So I'm up and down, almost actually burning up a bit of a sweat right now <laughs> while I get my breath back. Why don't you tell me a bit about our values? I think uh, being innovative, continuously building tech that
2: adds, adds value and is you know new. Like we're we're entering the social media era. I think the way in which market research has been done has been a bit outdated. Some of the cool methodologies, but they
0: have to sort of get rid of everything, have a new blank sheet of white paper and start fresh. We used so, to say, um, the methodologies in market research, are typically stuck in the nineties. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's true. Like brand lift itself is an old methodology, right? Uh, but the concept of
2: exposures are unexposed is great. It's just the way in which you find the audience now through social should go through social. Other parts of our value, I would say no bullshit. Good data uh, is really important to that. stuff. you can actually trust. Uh, we tell you how it is, um, if you're doing a brand lift for us and we don't think there's good impact, we know that we're getting the value of the data from the right audience, so we can tell you that. We would tell you that and be honest about that. We'd ultimately be giving you strategic insight and feedback as to how to optimize the next campaign, so then that's really good. And I think with the enabling and empowering stuff that you said, maybe a third core value is that we're looking to educate people. And so I, I think that's super important. Not just sort of make it seem like you have to come to us for us to do things for you. We think everyone should be able to do things
0: themselves. Right, I mean, yeah, we can go into a bit more detail there. Uh, I know you've planned to set up educational series and talks mm-hmm. with clients that sign up to our platform for more than a year. Maybe yeah. just go into a bit of detail about what those entail. Yeah, so uh, at the moment uh, we're
2: structuring it in some sort of all-in-one, uh, one-day course. I will bring in sort of a group of up to about five people. Um, off the back of that, we'll have a few questions, a little test to so sort of get them, sort of handle them through a campaign um, and then they'll get certificates and so off the back of that, that, getting a certificate, we're confident to give them full access to the platform mm-hmm. and uh, they can fire
0: away with unlimited access to our tools to, to you know, really elevate the industry. Running a startup. We're both co-founders. Why don't we outline what it takes to be a co-founder and what a day-to-day looks like? Yeah, two, two questions there. What it takes to be a co-founder I
2: think is a whole. Massive question. I think for us resilience has been the core factor in us getting through this day like to where we are now But day-to-day activity that also changes a lot through the journey You have to learn to focus and just completely do the right thing at the right time What's adding the most value so in the early days for me it was coding just pr- building the product testing it analyzing the results now as We're sort of growing a team and growing services and doing sales. I've got multiple hats, you know from sort of uh, making sure that the, the service agreements are, are lined up properly, that the projects are managed properly, that the team know what they're doing, when they're doing it, and, and um, I guess you could be wearing seven different hats as a founder in any different day, uh, and really ultimately it is to learn learn how to prioritize. Um, everyone's got different methodologies for that. Um, I think the 80-20 rule is really helpful. Um, I guess I try and break that down as well. I've like 10 things that I want to get done in a day. I think about what are the two that I really care about and make sure I do those as well as I can. And then I look to do the next things. What
0: about yourself? Well, for me, yeah, it's uh, largely the same. I feel like my role at This That's changed ever since we started mm. multiple times. So I remember in the early days at This That, my job sort of centered around raising, yeah. uh, raising yeah. funds. And we managed to have some successful rounds. Yeah. We managed to get onto APX, one of Europe's leading acceleration programs. Yeah. And in that space, I really had to focus on what APX was telling me that I was strong at. Yes. Yeah. Cancelling yeah. out the stuff that I was weaker at. Yes. Um, and yeah. that's when I really sort of moved into the marketing space and, yeah. and sales. Yeah. Um, it was very difficult because we didn't have a finished product. Yes. We didn't yeah. know which market we were targeting. Yeah. Yeah. I was expected to sell this product to who knows who, who knows who. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and expect sales from people yeah. that, you know. This actually really, what, what do you think it takes to, um,
2: to like get awareness out there and to, and to sell products for the very first time?
0: I think the first step for me was yeah. to become comfortable with rejection. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah something, something that I probably picked <laughs> yeah. up whilst I was at university, so I used to work in events yeah. Yeah. and ran a very successful events company, but part of that was yeah. going up to thousands of people Trying to sell an event or you know, a show and expecting 95% of them to kind of say no to you, but sometimes even in ruder yeah. ways ignore yeah, yeah, you. And, yeah. and that constant rejection builds a thick skin, uh, but it also makes you more resilient. Um, mm-hmm. And that's something that I think I excelled in. When it came to marketing, I had a, a slightly different problem. We were obviously a startup, and at the time we probably only had enough money to keep us going on bread and butter. Mm. So That literally was the case all the time. And Yeah, we can yeah. talk about that. I mean, Max lived for about a month and a half on basically nothing but bread and butter. He couldn't even afford to uh, take the bus yeah. from his home to uh, an accelerator program that he was doing in Edinburgh. Uh, so it was about an hour and a half walk that he did mm. every day. Mm, it was awful. It was a terrible time, and, and at other points we had a, a one-bedroom flat for three team members. Um, and yeah, anyway, I know. If you want to be a founder, be prepared to uh, experience ultimate highs, but also savage lows.
5: I think it takes uh, grit
0: and determination.
5: I've failed many, many times throughout my life. Almost finding it impossible to get onto graduate training schemes, etc. And ultimately, I was almost pushed into becoming an entrepreneur because it was perhaps the only option. So I think being able to fail and then recover from that failure is important so positivity determination perseverance and probably having a vision in a space that you feel is an interesting area to work for and, and, and a passion for that i think is key so i think anyone can do it but ultimately they definitely definitely need support a network around them to give them the courage to do it and that takes a bit of time to develop that network of support around you
0: well, I'll go back to the marketing point. We barely had enough money to get by. Mm. and I was always quite a creative person, but my vision for This That's Marketing was always quite extravagant. I wanted to uh, sponsor events, attend trade shows, uh, do huge video campaigns, marketing campaigns. Um, but it is really difficult. You have to manage expectations and from there I guess it's doing what you can to the best of your ability. Yeah, so, so so I guess this actually brings it back quite nicely. So, uh, what does it
2: take to get the first sale? I guess like how, like without having a marketing budget, how do we manage to get to this
0: point where now we have? The first sale, um, so I guess once you've got that initial awareness, mm-hmm. you get in the room with people. And for me, one of the best ways of doing that was um, reaching out to people on all sorts of uh, business related platforms, whether it be LinkedIn, email marketing, um, attending trade shows, joining webinars, anything that's centered around your field with people that are qualified to speak with you, um, try to get out there as much as possible. Once you've got that awareness, you can then go into your sort of first project, discussing it, what it might look like. Again, bear in mind that you've probably never done this before, so you're going to be learning a hell of a lot as you develop that proposal. Um, and often you have to really be careful not to over-promise and under-deliver. Mm. So we've managed expectations, but definitely do this for a fee. That's one thing I would definitely recommend. We saw ourselves as a startup, and we thought, we just need a project, a case study, let's do something for free. Mm. That changed you in all the wrong ways. Mm. You should be learning how to sell from day one. Know what it feels like to send an invoice, know what it feels like to get money in the bank, and then have the confidence to repeat that process. Um, Anyone can sell 100 products if they're free, so definitely get out there, get your your first case studies on the way and when it comes to doing that project, be super customer centric, listen to them, work with them collaboratively, fix all kinds of problems and ultimately make sure they're leaving with a smile on their face. Um, And I think that's the best way that you can get the next big
1: milestone, credibility. The most important thing is be truthful
3: and never over promise. You cannot tell them we've done this before. This is how it works. So being honest and telling them we can't tell you what happened in the past. So we can create the present together and then it will turn into the past. And then we can work based on that. If you're building a company that has customers, really making sure you understand what they want and also they understand what you have to offer is extremely important especially if you don't have any examples because you have never done it before and then also um sometimes i think this is getting better but here in germany sometimes clients wouldn't want to pay in the beginning and i would always tell them no what we do has a price maybe you, i would give them a discount say but because you are the first customer who dares to work with us which we highly appreciate We'll give you an 80% discount, not 100%, because we are a company, we need to make money. This is uh, also in your interest, because imagine what we plan together works. You might want to continue this. If we give everything away for free, this might not be sustainable.
0: We've spoken about... Um, how to build credibility awareness in your first sales. Yeah, a big part of startups journeys is raising Yeah, um, yeah. we try a multitude of different avenues, but perhaps you could tell our viewers Some of the key ways to find Funding to go with what I think is the most useful insight in this is actually when you're starting off from scratch
2: um, I think people sort of idolize how fun and how easy it is to raise it's fucking difficult. Um you want to get a really clear understanding of what milestones you need to hit to be able to be investment ready. I mean we learned that really the hard way. Uh, so so starting off, uh, you want to make sure that you can cover your own bills. Um, mm. So so you were working part-time at Amazon, you also had some money that you had from the um, events uh, that you were doing before. Uh, I was a teacher in an after-school club and basically my best tip there is try and find a job that, that pays well. Uh, so. In my case, tutoring, I could get up to like £30 an hour or even more if I wanted to. And so I was quite clear about how I managed my time with that so that I had the ability to comfortably put in more than 40 hours a week into the startup whilst I was still doing other work on the side. Um, That's my tip one. Because that means you can keep going and keep testing things because you're never really going to know. It's quite high risk at the start. Um, Then there are loads of grants out there that people don't really know about. Uh, you've got some sort of the more obvious ones, like an Innovate Grant, and Art, um, uh, which sort of everyone sort of talks about. Uh, but you've got all the small ones, like we got £5,000 to design our app uh, when we got the By Design Grant. So I think that's only in Scotland. Uh, but there are a whole host of these, and the, the best way is just to, to go online, Google uh, Grants, where where you are, you can you find it out. We had some help through our university, they had a lovely department where we could uh, speak to a lot of mentors in that space. Um, then, if you're looking for early investments, see, I guess, what other schemes are out there. There's an SCIS scheme, which we followed, that made it more attractive for investors to invest into us. Um, and then, also be smart with the money that you get. That's going to be my last thing, we can move on to the next question. Uh, but, uh, yeah, like get uh, when you bring angels on board, make sure they can also you know, add value and give you tips. Uh, we've been fortunate to have, to have angels on our, t- on our board that have exited companies in the past and they know sort of all the struggles and ups and downs at every step and we can call them anytime and get feedback so that's really, really helpful um, and an Accelerator Program, if you can go into one of those, that really helps, I mean that was pivotal to us identifying what our product market would be.
0: I think one more to add there, um, competitions, um, they're a great ways yes. for you to get your name out there but also learn some skills that um, are often overlooked, things like public speaking, mm. pitch presentations. Um, yeah, if you're yeah. pitching to investors, you're going to be pitching
2: to hundreds of people yeah. uh, and that means you're going to be reaching out to thousands of people.
0: And it was really nice for us, I guess, because we knew we had a pitch coming up in a month's time, say, and we mm. got together as a team and said, right, how do we best present our business? And in doing so, we learned a lot more about our business. We learned yeah. yeah, what yeah. resonated with people, what we should probably keep quiet. And uh, I guess... What just a, keep quiet? Well, keep quiet in the sense that, um, <laughs> you know, people aren't like, receptive to that idea. Okay, yeah, So, yeah. you know, sometimes Do you think... think seem to sound like the sort of dodgy that you no. shouldn't talk about. <laughs> um, what should you keep quiet in terms of, you know, what should you no longer big up? Okay. Um, I think it's yeah. quite common that founders run with their ideas and they don't, like, validate them. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So practicing pitching in front of a new audience is a great way to sense check... Yeah, definitely. ...what, what works and what doesn't work. Um, so that's my last tip there.
1: Everyone on the surface says there's tons of money floating around. But the reality is you still got to search and find it. I think that there's the obvious ways where you can, you know, sign up to a lot of VC funds online. You know, you can send them your pitch. But the reality is 90% of the time they never respond. So you gotta get a bit more creative in terms of how you approach it. So first, you know, approach other founders, you know, and ask about their experiences. I think one nice thing about the startup entrepreneurship community. Is that founders help founders and I think it's a really nice thing you know? so I make an effort too to help other people and and don't, don't, don't stress about asking for something in return you know because it'll, it'll come back to you it's a bit like a karma circle and then secondly too if you want to get even more creative you know you start looking at parallel startups you know startups which are in a similar space at you and then you go into crunchbase and see who their investors are and then just simple you find your names on LinkedIn you add them and you try to reach out and contact them. And that's a good way where I found a number of investors too. And then last but not least is also just asking your entire circle. You know, you've got other families and friends and whatnot. Just ask everyone the chances someone knows someone that would invest or someone knows someone, you know, a a VC or something that they can recommend you. Top tips
2: on growing a team. Growing a team. I think at the beginning you, um, you, you want to make most use of your network. That changes as you get down later down the line, but, um, like uh, you, you, want that could be friends of friends. Uh, it could be university groups. It could be uh, through LinkedIn. Um, finding good talent that's aligned with your values is really important, and it's also very hard. Um, and uh, sort of getting that balance um,
0: is tricky. But so, so yeah, leveling your network, uh, I definitely say, is super important in the yeah. early stages. Look at some of our key hires recently. Even um, we managed to get Rowi, our new yeah. paid media manager. Um, he came. That was through an Instagram shout out. Exactly, yeah, a yeah. friend of a friend. Um, so there's talent out there, and uh, I guess, yeah, as Max said, that's a great way to start. What about when you start to scale and grow your team to that next level? Well, yeah, so
2: um, I, I guess as, as we're now getting more and more work, uh, we also have a lot more work to do. And so you want to get people on your team that are able to, I guess, like not just do a great job, but also help you sort of relax and sleep at night. Um, and so you want people that are far better than you at a, at a specific uh, type of role. So I guess understanding what are all the different tasks you need done, how could you group that well into uh, into a role that someone could take on, um, how can you create a process that they can take full accountability and then start scaling that way and, and really prioritise and put in the time and effort to find top talent, interview these people, give them take-home tasks, test it. Um, it, and,
0: uh, and then when you find the right people, invest into them, uh, yeah. yeah. It's really interesting you say that. We've actually got a clip from Luke Townsend, who explains how he grows a team at TikTok.
6: I'd probably start off with uh, hiring people who are smarter than you or have different skill sets than you. I've always tried to look for people that can bring certain skill sets that are additive and complementary to other people on the team and know more than I do, of course, in certain areas. Also thinking about hiring people with slightly diverse perspectives. I think it's very easy to look at a certain type of CV about where somebody's been educated or what their career path might have been. So thinking a bit more widely about the kind of people you want to bring into the team and and how that works together as a mix. I think also in the context of a startup is don't over hire and don't hire too quickly. I think your journey becomes a lot more clear as you get into the actual role. And I think there is an ease to create duplication of roles, or sometimes it might not be wholly clear about what two individuals are doing if they're working on the same piece of work. So I think that's also quite an important task. But I think more broadly, that you know, um, in terms of how to continue to grow the team, I, I think you want to create an environment that first and foremost is fun and that people want to come to work for either remote or if that is going into an office. But also, you know, one that I guess really fosters inclusivity, uh, a place that people might want to join or and and hopefully, you know, remain.
0: One thing that we overlooked in the beginning was diversity, we sort of realized we needed to address this. But from your perspective, why is diversity so
7: important in a hiring strategy? Sure, it's a a pleasure to be here Dom, thank you for having me. So, diversity really gives you access to a much greater range of talent, is a short answer. So, not just talent that shares one particular worldview or ethnicity or age or gender or sexual orientation. Um, So, in other words, diversity is the key to getting a fuller, uh, I guess, 360 perspective on different aspects of any business. And I'm not just talking about influencer marketing here. Um, and then by default, that really helps you to give insight into the needs and motivations of your clients. So instead of just a, a siloed path that you could be looking at, suddenly you gain like, a variety of different perspectives from different backgrounds and experiences, and that in turn fuels creativity and high innovation. So really enabling companies to make better decisions faster. And in fact, um, research from McKinsey actually shows that that translates into profit as well. So, diverse companies are actually more profitable too. Um, And if you'd like to talk about a concrete example, um, then Black Lives Matter um, is a really good one. So, I think some brands got the messaging very wrong. Some brands stayed quite silent for fear of saying the wrong thing. Um, and other brands like Dove or Coca-Cola actually work very closely with uh, Black Brand Ambassadors to learn and understand the issues involved too, um, so that they could actually calibrate their messaging and do something to help.
0: In this next section, we're going to ask founders, if you could do it all again, what would you do differently? As the founder of Billion Dollar Boy, what would you have done differently in hindsight? Probably lots. <laughs> I.
5: I think it's been a really interesting journey since starting eight years ago. It's very clear that when you're starting a business, you need a fantastic team around you. And I was incredibly lucky to have met Emile Doyle and Tom Walters, who helped start this business with me. And, And the three of us, alongside the team that we then built, have made every day a total joy. So I think team and getting the team right is vital. We started investing in technology and software about three to four years into the journey. we would been running for eight years. We also chose an agency-based model. And it's fair to say that, you know, potentially something we could have done differently would have been focusing just on software, a SaaS-based business. I have seen how uh, agencies work and it's actually a very good business model. Um, but there are potentially better business models out there and, you know, offering a SaaS-based service is I just don't know whether it fits with an influencer marketing right now. A lot of people have tried it. A lot of people who have tried a self-service SaaS-based model for influencer have then shifted away from it because it's not really what the market demands today. It'll be interesting to see how that changes over the next three years. And then the final point is, you know, we've never raised any institutional funding of any sort. Every single one of our competitors at this scale has. And I think I question as to whether we should have done that to help us grow faster because we kind of see ourselves as the tortoise and the hare in this space. We've taken things slowly, considerately, carefully, but I feel like we've really laid strong foundations and it's quite clear from the responses and the inbound requests we get from clients nowadays that they really see us as one of the best in this space. So I think that approach was probably correct, but maybe funding is something we could have looked at.
0: Testament to Billion Dollar Boy and yourself for getting to where you are without institutional funding. Max, from your perspective, what would you have done differently at this that? I think the way in which Ed started with lots
2: is is true. Um, I mean, yeah, hindsight is 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 wonderful. If if our goal was to get to where we are today, uh, and I knew everything, obviously, I, I, we wouldn't have. Built 47 different apps, we would have known which app to build from the get go, we would have pivoted into building an analytics solution faster, we would have skipped all the market testing and have gone straight into influencer marketing. Um, but in a way, I kind of am glad that we had all of those struggles. Uh, it really taught us how to pivot. And I think in an ever growing, fast growing environment uh, that influencer marketing is now. Um, we've got that advantage in, in the space that we really know how to
0: adapt and move fast. Um, Absolutely. I think the fact that we were a startup meant that we were very dynamic. Mm-hmm. We were able to change um, on a sixpence, I think there's a saying. Um, whereas working with big corporates, you often find there's a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of paperwork, mm-hmm. a lot of um, decision makers all having different opinions and being agile. Can be impacted by being too big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess, but, it was... but
2: like learning how to be agile, mm. as well, and how to listen, and how to iterate, and how to prioritize what to do. Um, I mean, this is like a, the accelerator program that we did was so vital for learning all those skill sets for us. Absolutely. Uh, so highly recommend going to accelerator program yeah. in the early days.
0: Actually, I've got a, an interesting piece from Mo Eno, um, a member of the APX team, that speaks about the benefits of working with startups against corporates. In your opinion, why is working with a startup better than working with a corporate?
4: My question will be the other way around: Why working with a corporate when you can work with a startup? Startups uh, are much more eager to work with companies, and hence will do whatever it takes to make them the happiest clients ever.
0: Nice, awesome. I'm really liking all the questions so far, man. Well, that was the last one. Um, yeah. So I'm thinking maybe we just wrap it up. But before I do, I wanted to hand over to Scott Guthrie. Who had an interview with me and explained Mm -hmm. where he thinks the influence of
8: marketing space is going in 2022. Well, there are a few, and uh, you know, trends don't start and stop just because of the 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 calendar. So some of them will be building up more momentum. Some of these trends will be becoming more mainstream. But one of the ones I see is to be more culturally relevant. We can't uh, we, we can no longer sort of set our timetable by whether it's I don't know global. World Earth Day or Valentine's Day, or these sort of temporal points, will be more governed by micro trends and, and cultural. Trends. So we, we've known in, in public relations or in media relations, we've talked about a thing called newsjacking, where you try to promote your brand as part of a news story. We'll increasingly see that manifest as cultural jacking, where brands leap onto micro-trends that might be only fleeting, might only last a couple of weeks or, or, or so. Uh, they, they will flare up on TikTok, and uh, brands, clever brands that work with um, uh, with influencers on the long haul, they will jump on that. We'll see a lot more of purpose-led campaigns. Purpose-led campaigns are double-edged. Lots of brands will want to flex their sustainability muscles and show show how green they are, but there's a there's a double-edged sword there because they have to live their values. Otherwise, they will be called out on social media. We talk a lot about brands vetting influencers. Increasingly, influencers vet brands. They want to do that because influencers are our, our brands in their own right, and so if if they're approached by a brand that doesn't doesn't fit well, that they'll get called out, uh there'll be a legitimacy gap will be called out. There's also a, another away from just a, a reputational damage. There's also potential of financial harm as well. So the, the competition and markets authority is clamping down on greenwashing. So um, you know we, we want to sort of wear our our values and beliefs on our sleeve. But we also need to uh make sure that they are part of the company's DNA. And so we we're doing what we're saying we're gonna do. I'm sure lots of other guests will be talking about social commerce. That's you know, that that is obviously gonna be huge this, this next year. Lots talk about uh the metaverse, but more specifically Web3 and uh NFTs and, and sort of the reemergence of virtual influencers to, to, to play around on, on Web3, and, and the way we organize companies as well, the, and the uplifting the AOs. I've talked very quickly, and, uh, and I've tried to pick out some trends that might not necessarily be given by your other guests.